Thank you for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Ontarians aged 60 and older can now book their fourth COVID vaccine. We will preview the latest federal budgets. Don't expect Russian diplomats to be expelled from Canada anytime soon. All eyes are on Tiger Woods as the Masters tees off. We hear from the newest member of Forge FC. And no matter how much money they earn, moms beat dads when it comes to housework. The GMH Podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton Podcast on 900 CHML. We're asking people who are eligible for the fourth dose to receive it, to continue to boost their immunity uh, to COVID, and that's going to be really important to... uh, to uh, reduce the uh, the numbers of people that end up being in hospital. That is Ontario Health Minister Christine Elliott. Starting today, Ontarians aged 60 and older can book an appointment to receive a fourth dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Let's talk about dose number four, or I guess booster number two, with Dr. Omar Khan, Assistant Professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology at the University of Toronto, also a medicine by design investigator. Dr. Khan, welcome to the show. How are you? Doing well, thanks. So NASI has uh, strongly recommended rapid deployment of this second COVID booster shot, fourth shot overall, for all seniors 80 and up. Consideration for those over 70 and certainly anyone 16 over in Ontario is being urged to get their shot. What should we know about this fourth shot? Well, currently the fourth shot that NASI is proposing is the same type of vaccine you got before. So it's not new or updated. And the idea is that because BA2 is so different from what we originally saw, the vaccines, the antibodies you make are a little less efficient because it doesn't quite recognize it anymore. So by having this boost, the idea is that you will help your immune system bring back up its antibodies and fight it off because more antibodies compensate for less, the slight loss in efficacy. So do we know what level of efficacy we're at with uh, the triple vax and what we would get to with dose number four? Or does that depend on person to person? And unfortunately, it does depend on person to person. But ultimately, the best path forward is to look for the updated vaccine, which is in clinical trials now. So the vaccines we have now are phenomenal. They have long term protection. They're great. The only problem is the virus changed too much. So your immune system can totally fight off alpha, beta, and delta, no problem. But with Omicron, it was just too different. Too many changes happened. So I think we showed in Canada that we can deploy vaccines really easily and we can get it under control. But then evolution from somewhere else in the world came by here and uh, kind of undid a bunch of our work. So what we're looking at is hopefully in a couple of months when those clinical trials are done for the updated vaccines that are more tailored for Omicron and beyond, we can get those here, but we have to get them around the world. Otherwise we'll just help drive more viral evolution. And that's the problem. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dr. Omar Khan, assistant or uh, yes, assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology at the U of T. We know that the interval for this fourth dose is five months. So five months after your third dose, you can book an appointment to get dose number four. Is that based on supply or is that more about boosting the level of protection? More about uh, boosting the level of protection because by then you will have the natural waning of antibodies. But if you're re-exposed to the pathogen, 
your immune system doesn't quite recognize it anymore. So it kind of wants to restart the process from scratch. So in that five months, if you have that boost, you can nudge your immune system and says, hey, I know you don't quite recognize it, but this boost is to kind of suggest that you start remaking those old antibodies to fight this thing. And that's the idea. So by five months, you'll uh, everybody's antibody levels naturally drop over time. That's completely normal. That's normal biology. And we're just trying to help it come back up while we wait for, you know, a more targeted tool, which is the updated vaccine. Uh, wastewater surveillance is suggesting that the virus activity is now as high as the January peak. This shouldn't be a surprise, right? I mean, restrictions have gone by the wayside. We're no longer masking or no longer have to mask in public indoor settings. Seeing this this peak or this sixth wave, I guess, should not be a surprise? Definitely not a surprise. And while we always look for hospitalization numbers, that's a big driver in policy because we don't want to overload our hospitals. We see it's okay now. But what we're worried about is that when you have high infection numbers, the virus uses you to help evolve itself. So we're a bit concerned because when those numbers are too high, then we might be driving new viral evolution. And that's kind of why vaccines help, because you help clear that infection faster. The virus doesn't have enough chances to try to evolve, and we're in a better spot. As we know, Dr. Khan, Ontario has ditched its mask mandates. For people who have taken their masks off in those indoor public places, should they put them back on, or should the province say, hey, we need, we need everyone to put the masks back on? I think you should look at your personal risk factors. Personally, for me, I'm, I'm keeping it on. I do have to babies that are not vaccinated yet. So, you know, I, I'm doing what I can. And I know that updated vaccines are on their way and I'm hopeful that they can be deployed globally so we can get out of the cycle, which I am not very happy about. So get us out of this cycle. But I think if we see an uptick in hospitalizations, I think that's what's going to maybe drive an update to the policy. But for now, I can't quite speak to what, you know, health officials are thinking, but it's going to be, I think, driven by hospitalization. Regarding the global aspect of this pandemic, is there a timeline on when we can see boosted vaccination numbers in other places like Africa? I think what's interesting is that places like Africa are now getting capacity to build their new vaccines. And hopefully that will help with the extra distribution. And that's what we're having now that we didn't have before what we call distributed manufacturing, more places in the world that can make it. So hopefully these things will all help to give even coverage across the world and then break everyone out of the cycle. Hopefully we'll get there soon. Dr. Khan, appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us. All right, take care. That is Dr. Omar Khan, Assistant Professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology at the University of Toronto. He's also a medicine by design investigator. You can book a fourth dose appointment through the provincial portal, a Hamilton Public Health, participating pharmacies, or Indigenous-led vaccine clinics. 92% of Ontarians age 12 and older have at least one dose. 91% are fully vaccinated. 55% have the triple vax. And uh, we'll see how many sign up to get dose number four. 
You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. You see significant investments in housing, uh, in supports for families, uh, in a way that continues to grow our economy uh, for families from coast to coast to coast for years to come. It is federal budget day here in Canada. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. What should we expect to see and hear in today's budget when federal finance minister Christopher Freeland takes to the podium in and around 4 p.m. Let's ask Jean-Paul Lamb, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Waterloo and former Assistant Chief Economist at the Bank of Canada. Jean-Paul, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. It's an exciting day, of course, for people who are interested in uh, how our money is being spent. And I would say that's, uh, you know, north of uh, 35 uh, million Canadians. Um, Finance Minister Krista Freeland is going to deliver her first budget this afternoon since the Liberals uh, returned to the minority mandate last summer. And, and the first since forming this new agreement with the NDP. So what kind of budget should Canadians expect to see? Well, I think we should uh, expect a more focused uh, strategic budget that will target specific areas of uh, and needs of Canadians, uh, such as affordable housing. Um, and we know that the agreement that they made with the NDP, dental care and pharmacare, care will be at the center of this budget as well. And they will continue their themes that they started uh, in the previous budget, greening the economy, and the new things that we will see is getting to the 2% commitment to NATO. So we will beef up our military and, and defense budget. I think that the big theme of this budget will be addressing the cost of living that has been uh, spiraling out of control. As you know, inflation has been running extremely high in Canada by historical standards, at least by the last 30 years, inflation at 5.7%. So I think you should, uh, we should see in that budget the, the government addressing at least uh, the concerns of Canadians uh, regarding the, the cost of living getting out of control. Uh, for me, I think housing will be the most important theme in this budget this afternoon. So we are moving ahead with uh, more of those hardcore items as opposed to, hey, listen, we're, we're getting away from the pandemic. Uh, you know, we, those recovery programs are over. More of the focus is going to be on, uh, I'm, I'm certain healthcare is going to be in the mix, but housing, you know, moving the economy ahead, tackling inflation, those should be the, the biggest pillars, you think? I think so. Uh, I think you will see a lot of measures uh, on the housing front, as you know, uh, this is a big concern for many young Canadians and the inability for young Canadians to buy their first home. Uh, since 2015, the, the average price of a house in Canada has doubled. And we are in the midst of a tightening cycle from the Bank of Canada. It's very likely that the Bank of Canada will increase interest rate by 50 basis points next week. So the cost of mortgage, of carrying a mortgage, or even buying a house and getting a new mortgage is getting more expensive. So we, ex- I, I think economists are expecting a lot of new measures uh, regarding housing. They've already implemented quite a lot of measures to allow Canadians to afford their house uh, in the previous budget, but we will see even more uh, in this budget. One of the things I think uh, that uh, we might see is... Uh, not the pharmacare and especially dental care being implemented full-fledged. I think we will see these measures being implemented progressively over the years. They will start slowly because those are very uh, substantial expenditure for the government. 
so we will see the, the government implementing these measures slowly over time, and probably by 2025, uh, these measures will be, full, be these will be full-fledged measures in in the budget. All of this, I, I think the the Minister of Finance has to keep in mind that the deficit has been extremely high in the last couple of years. We know that's mostly because of of the pandemic. So she, um, uh, Minister Freeland, has to keep an eye on that and try to establish a plan to get to a balanced budget maybe in the next five years. I, I don't think economists and myself see a balanced budget anytime soon. But in terms of bringing back credibility to the uh, fiscal balance, I think it would be nice to see the Liberals' plan to get to a balanced budget within the next five years. John Paul Lame is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He is an associate professor of economics at the University of Waterloo and a former assistant chief economist at the Bank of Canada. You mentioned a few minutes ago the, the war in Ukraine. Where do you think defense spending ranks in the Trudeau government's priority list with this budget? In the past, it's been clear it was uh, fairly low. As you know, the the members uh, of NATO has made this pledge to bring defense spending to two percent of GDP. Most of the uh, of the NATO members spend already way more than two percent. The U.S. Uh, spent about three and a half percent of GDP in terms of budget spending. The U.K. at two and a half percent. Historically, in the last 10 years, we have been at around 1.2% of of GDP, so much lower than the 2%. Uh, We are expecting a significant bump in defense spending of around maybe $10 billion. That won't be enough to bring the the commitment to 2%, but I think it's necessary given the the geopolitical climate we are living in. So for the first time in a long time, I think we will see uh, quite a lot of spending on on defense and military. And really quick, we only have about a minute. You mentioned balanced budgets. Are they a thing of the past? Do Canadians, are are they comfortable with seeing more spending as opposed to, hey, we're going to balance the budget in 10 years? I think we need a plan. We we understand, Canadians understand that we've been living in exceptional times in the last uh, couple of years with the pandemic. Uh, it was necessary to spend and as much as we did in the last uh, last year and in, in 2020. But if we are talking about getting out of the pandemic and getting back to a normal kind of cycle of the economy, it is necessary for the government not to balance the budget next year, but at least to have a plan going forward when we will get to this balanced budget. This is even more necessary given that inflation is running hard and you don't want uh, fiscal policy to add even more work to to the Bank of Canada and fuel even more inflation. So it is what what we're looking for is not a balanced budget anytime soon, but a plan when we will get to this balanced budget. Yeah, it'd be nice to see that roadmap ahead. Jean-Paul, thanks for the time today. You're welcome. Have a great day. You too. Jean-Paul Lam, Associate Professor of Economics, University of Waterloo, and a former Assistant Chief Economist at the Bank of Canada. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We understand how horrific what Russia is doing. We want to use all tools to punish, to sanction, uh, to show that, that we stand strongly with Ukraine. I'm just not sure that the symbolic gesture of excluding Russian diplomats uh, from the 
what they're doing in Canada is worth the cost of losing our diplomats in Moscow. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Samprin with you. Interesting comments from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau as the war rages on in Ukraine. It doesn't sound like Canada is going to expel Russian diplomats from this nation. Elliot Tepper is a professor emeritus of political science at Carleton University and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Elliot. Uh, good morning, Rick. So do you agree with the Prime Minister's reasoning regarding the expulsion of Russian diplomats? Does it make sense? It does. That's a very uh, plausible position to take. That is, in a sense, a normal position to take. The two sides leave their embassies in place so that there's eyes and ears on the ground in each state. There's also in the past been a situation where if you did leave your people on the ground, they'd be in serious trouble. We had that situation in Iran, which had a history of taking over embassies, <laughs> and uh, we we closed our embassy there. And even then, professional diplomats said, no, no, we shouldn't do it, uh, although there was a history of hostage taking. So it's a tough decision to actually close an embassy. The other side of that argument, of course, is if you can't do it now with this regime, uh, what other regime ever deserves it more? How tenuous of a, of it is a situation that uh, Canadian diplomats are in Russia? Are they in any danger at all? Not in the sense of the Iranian situation where there would be a storming of the embassy and taking it over. And uh, I don't think the Russians will enter a diplomatic enclave of a NATO country and uh, try to arrest people. There have been mysterious attacks, the Havana Syndrome, where embassy personnel in Cuba and then elsewhere around the world have come down ill with mysterious ailments that some thought of a microwave attack. That's never been cleared up, uh, nor has it been proven there was an enemy attack, nor was it linked actually to Russia, although that was the suspicion around the world. So at the moment, I don't think it's a physical concern for the safety of our our people there. It's whether or not it better serves Canada interest, Canada's interest to have our people there, keeping in mind that, as we're reading in this morning's paper, that the uh, Russians have more than twice as many people here as we have there. Hmm. The federal budget, as we know, is going to be unveiled later this afternoon. Uh, as we know, many countries have called on each other to get to 2% of GDP for their defense spending budget. How much pressure is on the Trudeau government to hit that 2%? I know it's going to take tens of billions to get there. And if they don't get to 2%, what message does that send to this uh, situation in Ukraine? especially if we link it with your first question, we won't close our embassy, nor will we meet our target. Uh, The Canadians have always said, you can't just go by the GDP. You have to look at GDP per capita. And we actually punch above our way above other countries that uh, hit the 2% GDP mark, but do not uh, actually provide per capita as much as we do. Well, you can play that game a long time. What all this means is that Russia has behaved in a way that has ratcheted up tensions uh, they have justifiably called uh, their behavior into question in terms of war crimes and crimes against humanity, that there is a pummeling of a, of a European state uh, in a way that we thought, we thought would never happen again. There's going to be penalties. Our budget today undoubtedly will reflect a great jump in, in the amount allocated to defense, but that's, those are years in the making in terms of actual procurement procurement and use of material. Uh, It is a symbol, uh, another message sent to Russia that there's a cost to be paid when all states around the world 
uh, that are could be considered democracies are increasing their their defense budgets in response to the Russian behavior. And that might be a message that the Russians will hear. We have about a minute with uh, Elliot Tepper, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Carleton University. Uh, speaking of penalties, uh, more sanctions, this time from the U.S., and they're focused on President Vladimir Putin's daughters. Uh, Russia says it plans to respond. What do you make of this? Uh, the, there's a longstanding practice that, uh, as, as in the mafia, that nev- things are never put in the names of the, the, the principal, the uh, there's always family members and subordinates and, uh, on Russian case, oligarchs who actually manage the money. So it's not meant to be punitive against family members. It's meant to track down that money and stop the uh, hiding of the funds, the ill-gotten gains of a kleptocracy that's now attacking a European country in the most vile possible manner in Ukraine. Elliot, appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, thank you. That is Elliot Tepper, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at Carleton University. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. It's been a tough, tough year and uh, a lot of uh, a lot of stuff that I had to deal with. And, you know, I don't wish on anyone, but, you know, here we are. Augusta National, the Masters, the Green Jackets, Tiger Woods, all uh, compiled into what should be a fantastic golf tournament this weekend. It all starts this morning. Um, joining us now, Matt Bonesteel. He's with the Washington Post and has written extensively about Tiger and golf and in sports in general. Matt, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Tiger Woods, I mean, where, where do we even start with this guy? Uh, you know, 14 months ago, n- nearly lost his leg in this car crash. Now is going to be competing for... Uh, a sixth green jacket. Where's your headspace at with uh, Eldrick Woods? <laughs> it is quite the, uh, the the return. I mean, you know, you you heard him talk last November about how he was never going to be a full time PGA Tour player again, and that he would play occasional tournaments. But I don't think anyone really thought that this first occasional tournament was going to be the Masters. Um, so what he has done in the 14 or so months since he almost lost the leg is pretty amazing. And if you look at look at him out there on the practice uh, course today and the other day, uh, he looks to be getting around okay. Looks to be has a little bit of a hitch in his walk, but he's swinging the ball well. And uh, I guess he's going to give it a go. The walk is what I think most people are going to be keying in on because we know he can swing a club, and he has even said earlier that that's not the issue. The issue is going to be walking around potentially for right. four days at what is very you know very uh, you know up and down kind of course. What are you expecting mm-hmm. on that front from him? Yeah, that'll be the, that's obviously the big question. Augusta National is a really a really deceptively hilly course, which you don't you can't really even pick up on it in the TV broadcast how just how up and down it is. So it's going to be at least two days for him of, you know, probably a more strenuous just walk than he's had, uh, you know, while practicing on his Florida course, which, you know, Florida is really flat. So uh, I think that's going to be the big problem. And, you know, your body tires out. And then by the end of the round, you know, your shots start going awry. And that's going to be really be the, the thing to watch with Tiger is how he, he lasts through the, through the first two days. And if he makes the cut the last two days. TV ratings, I'm guessing, are going to be off the charts. I, I mean, ESPN and CBS here in the States, there are 
thanking their lucky stars. I mean, CBS, hopefully, if he gets to the weekend, obviously. But, I mean, it's just for the game of golf in general. It's anytime you see Tiger in a tournament, it really it takes that tournament to a whole other level, even if he's not expected to compete. Um, just him being there is, is it makes it a must-see must TV. Matt Bonesteel is our guest. He is a reporter with the Washington Post. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're chatting about the Masters and uh, Tiger Woods making his uh, long-awaited return, return at Augusta National. Um, what we're also going to see that we didn't see last time at the Masters is a full gallery. Uh, spectators mm-hmm. back allowed in because the COVID-19 pandemic uh, delayed things. Um, how much extra uh, oomph is this going to have to Tiger's return and, and what we're all expected to see? Well, you've, you've seen it over the first last couple of days, just him while he's practicing. I mean, these crowds are would be big for just regular run-of-the-mill PGA Tour events just to see him practice, to see him chip you know, the ball into the hole repeatedly from the practice screen. So if that's any indication, uh, things are going to be pretty crazy. I think they usually are with the Masters, even, you know, if Tiger is not a presence. But just him being there, just I mean, it, it pours gasoline on the excitement. I think it's going to be a really fun weekend. Yeah. How crazy is it to think that Tiger is playing in this tournament and Phil Mickelson is not at Augusta National? Yeah, yeah the first time since, I think, 94, I think it is, that Phil's not going to be there. And, you know, these two guys have been sort of hand-in-hand the last 25 years of, of professional golf. They've been right at the top, and they've been competitors with each other in in the last couple of years i think they've they've started to show each other a grudging respect but now phil is taking some time off whether that's forced time off or by his own volition it remains to be seen but uh so yes it will be strange that phil uh, will not be there but tiger is i don't think anyone really predicted that when the year began when it comes to your gut feeling on how tiger is going to do this week potentially this weekend what does your gut tell you i I just, I just don't know. I, just, I don't think anyone can really make a prediction because no one has seen what he can do. I think if he makes the cut, it's going to be great. I, I don't see him having the strength to last all to compete really for four days. So I think if he can just make the cut, in which he seems like that's the least he expects himself to do. So. Uh, just making the cut, I think, would be a major accomplishment for him. I agree. Matt, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for the coverage this morning, and enjoy the uh, the tournament. Great, thanks. That is Matt Bonesteel, reporter with The Washington Post, who is at Augusta National this morning. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big news out of Forge FC this week. It has announced the signing of local goalkeeper Dino Bontes to a Canadian Premier League development contract. You'll likely recognize the last name for sure. Dino is the son of Canada soccer president, Dr. Nick Bontis. And Dino joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dino, good morning. How are you? Hey, Rick. How's it going? Good morning. I'm good. How did you end up signing with Forge FC? So um, I I was at Toronto FC Academy for seven years, actually. And uh, the Forge uh, Forge wanted to sign me, so I, I uh, came over here and uh, I, I trained for a little bit and then they uh they wanted to sign me so i'm i'm really proud i'm really proud to be a fellow hamiltonian myself and represent hamilton and hopefully i can make other hamiltonians proud so they liked what they saw in your skill set you being only 17 they're seeing a bright future for you yeah yeah i'm really i'm really blessed that that i got the opportunity and i'm i'm really excited 
How does a development contract work? Are you practicing with the team? Do you travel with the team? Can you possibly play? Are you in the fill room? Do you have analytics? Talk about what goes into a development contract. Yeah, yeah. So pretty much a developmental contract is uh, I'm with the team. I'm fully integrated. Uh, but I also have uh, my eligibility for U sports. So that's something that was put into consideration for myself. If uh, any time down the road I'd want to go into university and play sports uh, and play soccer, and yeah, that's that's one of the the good the good parts of the the contract. Uh, we're in discussion with Dino Bontis, new developmental goalkeeper with Forge FC. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Dino has played for Hamilton Sparta before going to, as he mentioned, a Toronto FC Academy, where he was named the Under-13 CONCACAF Club Championships 2017 Gold Glove winner as the tournament's top keeper. How would you describe your game? Well, I think I'm a really technical player. I think I'm good on the ball. Um, I think I have a, a good presence on the field. I think that I think that my players can really count on me, and they can trust me in the back. And obviously, a goalkeeper is a really important part of a, a team. And I think I I have a good uh, a good grounding, and I can be a good start for the, any attack on on a team. Anyone who's watched a soccer game, either uh, on television or in person, whether it's Forge FC or maybe Toronto FC down the highway, or even an international event like uh, Team Canada this uh, this past winter, there was uh, obviously a great game at Tim Hortons Field between the Canadian men's national team and uh, USA in CONCACAF World Cup championships. Yeah. Anyone who watches a game will notice that the goalie's very vocal. Are you are you working on that skill set? Yeah, definitely. For for many years, I've been working on that. I think it's really important that that you're speaking throughout the game and you're the, the loudest person on the pitch because uh, a goalkeeper can pretty much see the whole field and some things that other players can't see, like if there's a player behind him or if there's space in behind or whatever it may be, I can see that and I can give him uh, input and I can just help the team out in any way I can without being on the ball in that moment. With the growing popularity of the CPL along with we, we can probably obviously throw the MLS in there. It's been a long it's been around for a lot longer. Uh, Canada's success on the international stage. Are, are players your age getting noticed quicker than ever by other teams and maybe even other leagues? Yeah, definitely. Players my age are, are starting to break into uh into first teams and starting to get more minutes way more frequently than before. And I think that the uh the pathways to these opportunities have become uh, much more accessible over the years at at uh, Canada Soccer, and and uh, that's just one of the many great things that has uh, been improving and that we're we're blessed to have in this country as well. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Dino Bontis, new goalkeeper with Forge FC after signing a developmental contract with the CPL club. Uh, Dino is a 17-year-old who's been part of the Canada Youth National Team, the under-20 pool, and recorded four caps with Canada in 2019 at the under-15 CONCACAF Championships. He had a couple of clean sheets there as well against Mexico and El Salvador, so a big feather in your cap. Um, How cool has it been to see your dad as the leader of Canada soccer at a time when the men's and the women's national teams are performing so well. Yeah, it's really cool. I'm, I'm very proud of him. I know he puts a lot into uh, into that job and that position. And I'm just look, I'm looking forward to uh, the World Cup. It's something that every Canadian has been waiting for for 36 years, and it's something that I can't. I just can't wait for it to come. How big of an impact do you think the World Cup experience is going to have on the game in this country? Oh, the World Cup experience will have a major impact on the game. I think that 
many more eyes will be drawn to the game of soccer in Canada and it'll it'll definitely benefit the the amount of registrations that happen and the amount of people that just view the game which uh which is really important. I absolutely agree. Dino, uh, congrats on the new contract. Best of luck not only this season, but certainly throughout your career. We'll certainly be uh, in touch with you down the road, I'm sure. Yeah, thank you so much, Rick. What a great young lad, Dino Bontis, goalkeeper, Forge FC. Congrats on the development contract and looking forward to seeing him on the pitch sometime soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There's a study out from the University of Bath in Ireland that suggests mothers who earn more money than their husbands still do most of the housework. How does that make any sense? Well, researchers studied the domestic responsibilities and earnings of over 6,000 heterosexual North American couples, both married and non-married, but cohabitating. And they found that the more money the woman earned, the more housework she took on, especially in married couples. Come on, guys! What in the... Housework, in this case, was defined as time spent cooking, cleaning, and doing other work around the house. This did not include entertaining or caring for children. So, I mean, factor that into the equation, which most moms do. ABC News. Fascinating stuff. Back in 1961, ABC News asked citizens if men should help with the housework on weekends. Hello, everybody. Well, here we are again on the four corners of suburbia to ask unsuspecting passers-by a question or two. Uh, the question today, a homely one, should husbands help with the weekend housework? Do you think that husbands should help with the weekend housework? Yes, definitely. Oh. Why do you say that? Because oh, I do it myself. Oh. Much? Oh, a fair bit. Cook? Yes, cook. Wash up? Wash up. Maybe you'd be better off as a bachelor doing all your own work. Yeah, I would be. But he should always give a woman a spell. <laughs> How about Dad having a rest too? Because I suppose he's been working all the week. No, he hasn't. He hasn't worked for eight years. <laughs> should they? It all depends. Well, I mean, to say if you're working all the week, well, I should say not. But if the wife is sick or anything like that, well, I think they should. Are you married? I am. So it comes the weekend and your wife as well, you don't do any work, so that. Oh, well, I have plenty of other work to do outside, like in the gardening and all that sort of thing. Do you think that husbands yes. should help uh, their wives with weekend housework? Yes, I think they should. It's just natural. Are you married? No, I'm single, but I uh, do all the housework myself. I live on my own. Do you cook? Well, uh, I don't eat very much. I cook now and again. Do you sew and mend and that kind of thing? Oh, yes, the best I can do. Seeing uh, I've been out of work about two and a half months. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord, no. No, I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't say that. I don't oh, think I should do why that. Why that? Well, poor old man, he works too hard to wives and have nothing to do. Do you think that husbands should help with the house, housework at the weekends? Well, that all depends. If the wife goes to work through the week, I think she sh he should help. I see. Otherwise, I don't. I think he should relax a little bit. Are you married? I am. Does your husband go to work? I suppose he does. Oh, yes. And you? Yes. Oh, you both go to work? Yes. So your husband does cooking and that kind of thing at home? Oh yes, everything. <laughs> Definitely. My word I do, it's only fair that they should do that. You're married? Yes. Can't you see it in the face? <laughs> I thought you were eating banana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have. 
you do a lot of weekend housework? Yes, I do it all. What does your wife do while you do the housework? She rests. you think that husbands should help with the weekend housework? Uh, it all depends what chores they've got to do themselves. Oh. How's it organised at your house? Oh, well, I have four girls and uh, there's a lot of work to do. Oh, I guess that means that Dad can sit down most of the time. And No, he's out most of the time to keep out of my way. That's for I sure. certainly do. Yeah. Well, yes. That's for sure. Why shouldn't they? Oh, you're married, are you? Yeah, well, that's just about. <laughs> what do you mean, just about? Well, uh, let's say in two weeks. Oh, I see. And you've got your mind made up already how you'll organise it. Oh, yeah. for sure. Is that your intended behind you, is it? That's for sure. Oh. Are you for sure? I mean, you know what she said. That's for sure, yes. Well, what do you think, I mean? Would you stand over there just a little bit? That's the idea. Do you uh, think that, um... She's right in her views that you should help with the housework? My word, why shouldn't we? Do you think oh, that husbands no. should help with the weekend housework? Yes, certainly, all the time, but mine doesn't. Uh, fascinating answers to those uh, questions of whether or not men should help with the housework on weekends. That was, that was the phrase. Not during the week, because, you know, they're busy working and doing stuff. Uh, and I counted, uh, I think it was seven yeses, uh, three of them from women for them from men, and there are also three no's, including one from a woman who said, no, nah, they, got, they got enough to do during the week. Again, that was back in 1961. As of 2021, women on average earned 84% of what their male counterparts earned across all industries, and yet, according to this survey, and I think most of us men will admit anecdotally that the women do most, mo- by far, most of the housework. Uh, Interesting stuff. The worst household chores, by the way, according to unofficial studies. uh, Number 10, cleaning the litter box. Yeah, I can attest to that. Nine, cleaning the windows. Cleaning the window is always tricky. You know, you clean the window, then you look out the window. Wow, that looks great. Oh, there's a streak there. And then you got to, you know, rub out the streak. Uh, Number eight, grocery shopping and cooking. I don't mind either of those. It is the the idea generation part of what to cook for dinner is the tough part because you want to you know mix it up a little bit. Uh, seven on the list of worst household chores. I thought this would be a lot high, uh, higher on the list. Mopping. Oh, whipping out the mop. Nobody likes that. Uh, number six, which is kind of like mopping, but sweeping and vacuuming. Five is dusting. That always makes me sneeze. Four, doing laundry and ironing. I don't mind the ironing and the laundry part. I think it's it's it, it's okay. Uh, three on the worst household chores: cleaning the stove and oven. Yeah, I would agree. The stovetop, you know, when you're cooking some bacon and that grease is flying all over the place, cleaning that up is yeah, you like eating the bacon. You don't like cleaning the the, the after effects of it. Number two on the uh, top ten most hated household chores: washing the dishes is number two. Oh, I got a lot of experience doing that uh, over the last year. And number one, cleaning the bathroom slash toilet. Yes, I think we can all agree that's probably the most hated household chore. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.